0: Hey everybody, it's Dan and welcome to our Tuesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, the Hey Mary Kay edition of the podcast. And today Mary Kay Cabot and I tackle a number of topics uh, on Browns fans' minds. We start with Jadavion Clowney re-signing with the Browns, what it means, how long it's been brewing, and what it could mean for Jadavion and the Browns moving forward. Then we get into Deshaun Watson and his lawyer Rusty Harden. He had a conversation with Mary Kay uh, towards the end of last week, so we talk a little bit about that. We get into a little bit of the trip to the Bahamas, and then we talk some Baker Mayfield because Baker is always a topic. Now, if you're not a Football Insider subscriber, get subscribed. Cleveland.com Browns, the blue banner at the top of the page to get a newsletter delivered to your inbox every single day written by a member of our Browns reporting team. Uh, access to exclusive stories on Cleveland.com Browns, and you can become one of our text subscribers. Uh, remember, OTAs are starting this week. We're going to get to start watching practices. We're going to be texting some things out. Uh, as we're standing out there in Berea so you want to be a football insider subscriber and you want to start now cleveland.com slash browns the blue banner at the top of the page to get info and get signed up okay here we go our tuesday orange brown talk podcast here we go on our tuesday edition of the orange brown talk podcast the hey mary Kay edition of the podcast mary Kay, there was so much uh, that's happened over the, the last few days that I figured we would just kind of, we have our topic, so our Football Insider subscribers, we'll we'll get to your questions next week. I know you have a bunch, but uh, there, there was plenty we wanted to get to. So Jadavion Clowney, let's start there. Back with the Cleveland Browns as you broke on Sunday afternoon. Uh, so let's just start here. Hey Mary Kay, are you surprised Jadavian's back or was this kind of coming for a while?
1: This was coming for a while. Um, I had the story all written, ready to go. It was really just a matter of time. It was a matter of finalizing the money and getting that right. And he did have a couple of other opportunities, uh, but those were uh, multi-year opportunities in the 14, 15 million dollar range total. So I think for one season, this was uh, his best chance. And then also it gives him an opportunity to hit the market again at the end of next year. And I mean, you can make a nice living if you're going to make, you know, $10 million and then another 10 million and another $10 million a year. It's really not a bad way to go for him at this point in his career, but I'm not surprised at all. I knew it was coming uh, and I knew it was going to happen fairly soon.
0: So you, so you hit on a few things there and, and um, I wrote about this in our newsletter for Monday. Um, This was sort of a, this was perfect for both sides. This was sort of a necessity for the Browns, and it was it was really good for Jadavion. And I mean, I just let's just start with the situation moving forward after this year. So he's twenty nine, just turned twenty nine in February. Uh, he would hit the market again at age thirty, and if he does that with productive back to back seasons, he's got a chance to maybe kind of score that last kind of multi-year deal with some real guaranteed money in it, as opposed to having to go year by year. Now, maybe he wants to go year by year. Maybe that's just what he wants to do for the rest of his career. But this is kind of a a moment for him where if he puts two really good seasons together back to back, he might be kind of a hot commodity next off season.
1: He could be if he has the kind of season that he had last year where he basically stayed healthy for most of the season for the first time in a long time. He has a, an extensive injury history, but he stayed very healthy and you know, he was perfect for this scheme. It's basically, you know, dog, go eat. I mean, like go forward, get to the quarterback. He's also really good at setting the edge. That's one of the things that he does almost better than anybody in the NFL from the defensive end position. So he did that very well too. He complimented miles Garrett very nicely Jadavian had his nine sacks after only having three in his previous 19 games. It helped Miles, freed him up to get 16, which set the single season Browns record. Uh, So it worked out for both of them. And you can see that Miles was all about this. Okay, he lobbied for Jadavian Clowney. And then after Jadavian Clowney was signed yesterday, he said, it's about damn time. So he knows that Jadavian is good for him. Those two guys were fast friends. Uh, now, some of that stems from back when uh, they both had Bus Cook as their agent. Now, ironically enough, neither of them have Bus Cook as their agent anymore. Uh, Jadavian is with Kennard McGuire, a longtime, very well-established and well-respected agent. And as we now know, Miles Garrett has moved over to Clutch Sports, uh, which was founded by Rich Paul. And it's you know also the agency that represents... LeBron James, who is Rich Paul's very, very close friend, so Miles is basically part of the LeBron, LeBron James sports family now, which I think is another significant development. But uh, absolutely, one hundred percent, this Jadavian Clowney signing is it's good for him. It's good for the Browns, and I just think he's going to be so good for the uh, for the young guys on the team that just got drafted.
0: And. So on that Brown side, you know, the way I see it for them is they, they almost had to do this. There was no, like you could not go into the season, a season when you're trying to win a Super Bowl with your options at your other edge rush, you know, Chase Winovich, Alex Wright, Isaiah Thomas, I don't know, Porter Gusta. I mean, you couldn't go into the season with the, counting on those guys to be your number two edge rushers. That would be a pretty big ask considering the expectations for this team and this defense.
1: Absolutely, 100%. This was a move that needed to be made. Uh, there really was no one else left that they were looking at that, that is in this class of defensive ends. For a while, they were kind of looking at Jerry Hughes. He ended up signing with the Texans, um, but they, they were looking at Jerry for a while as a possible plan B if they couldn't get Jadavian. Once that happened, I was convinced that Jadavian was coming back. I I felt all along that he would, and that it was just a matter of time, but um, it was something that they had to do. If you want to maximize the talents and the abilities of Miles Garrett, keep him playing at that very high level and make this defensive line go the way that you want it to, uh, you know, with guys that can move, you know, and play at either side can move inside and have that kind of flexibility. This was a move they really needed to make.
0: <laughs> this sort of felt like, I, I mean, it felt like this was, was going to happen. It just felt like, I don't know, like a couple of college roommates that had an apartment and the lease was coming to an end. And they knew that if they were going to end up living together for the next year. But like eh, they were kind of looking around at other apartments, kind of seeing who else was looking for roommates. But they both kind of knew that they, that they were best for each other.
1: Oh, absolutely. One hundred percent. And I think that's um, I mean, you'll see reports and I threw it in my story, too, about how he did turn down these offers of 14 to 15 million dollars over multiple. That wasn't a year. That was not per year. That would be misleading to to think that that's what it was. That's combined for a couple of years. Um, But absolutely, um, you know, this is a place that he has really come to love. I watch, I've watched him very closely every single day at practice. He's having fun out there. Now he is that kind of guy anyways, that tries to make his own fun wherever he's at, but he just fits with this crew. You know, he really does. I think, uh, I think he really likes his defensive line coach, Chris Kiffin. Uh, I think the fact that Deshaun Watson is going to be the quarterback here and they played together in Houston and they're friends. Uh, I think that has something to do with it as well. This is where he wants to be. At this point in these guys' career, they really do want to win. They want to play winning football. It is not fun to be on a losing football team. It's just, it's not fun. It's not necessarily, you know, that that these guys, um, you know, aren't going to think that they had a good career if they don't win a Super Bowl. Some of it is just the basic feeling of winning makes everybody in the building happy. And the environment is good. The energy is good. And I think he wants to be part of that.
0: Well, and the other thing too, that I think he liked, and he talked about this during training camp. And I think he even mentioned it during the season, a couple of times, like I think he liked the approach as far as training camp is not a grind. Like it was, you know, it was a pretty easy physical, physically a very easy training camp for him. Um, They didn't ask a lot of him if he was hurting, he could sit out. If he felt good, he'd practice. And I think he appreciated that. I always got that impression that he felt like they were taking care of him physically and allowing him to kind of do what he was comfortable with physically and not pushing him. And that was his first training camp since his Houston days. So I think he appreciated kind of the the team's approach to, you know, just taking care of his body and how like, hey, I'm not feeling good today. I'm going to tap out of practice. Yeah, okay, that's fine.
1: Absolutely. 100%. That has a, a lot to do with the fact that he stayed healthy for most of the season. And in his last couple of games, he was able to earn another $500,000 in those last two games uh, by getting four sacks two in each of the final two games uh, that got him that earned him another half a million dollars. And that is because, as you said, they took care of him. They have a way of, of doing that for their veterans they do it with miles if miles doesn't want to practice on any given particular day because of the way that he's feeling with a you know with a groin injury or a hamstring or whatever the case may be uh they are willing to let those guys back off and take it a little easy in practice you could see it all all year long they they did that and uh it's a good sound strategy and we've seen them do it with jc treader and other guys like that they don't Beat them up during the week. They let the young guys get those reps. So those young guys are ready, too. And the older guys uh, are able to stay fresh and healthy, especially now in a 17 game season.
0: Only missed three games last year, and I believe two of them were COVID. Mm -hmm. So only one with injury. uh, And that was when his knee, knee flared up. Before the Chargers game and then he played the rest of the year until COVID hit uh, in week 15 missed a couple of games there but was back and finished the season, including those two meaningless games at Pittsburgh and Cincinnati, he was out there Mm -hmm. and obviously they weren't meaningless to him, you mentioned it, they certainly helped his pocketbook, but uh, he, he was out there so certainly give him credit there. All right. Something else that happened uh, since the last time we talked is you spoke with Rusty Harden, who, of course, is Sean Watson's attorney. And I just wanted to kind of get a feel for, you know, after your conversation, sort of what you took away from from talking to Rusty Hardin and, and what he had to say uh, to you when you guys spoke.
1: Well, a couple of things. There, there were a lot of things that, you know, I, I tried to get in as many questions as I could in a very, very short phone conversation with Rusty, but I I tried to cover as many bases as I possibly could. And I think, um, you know, the first thing is, you know, how did things go? Where did things stand with the with the NFL? So just quick update there. Uh, The NFL met with Deshaun Watson for three days in Houston last week, and uh, they talked to him as part of their ongoing investigation when they were done with the three days. They told Rusty Harden and Deshaun Watson they want more. They want to do a little bit more digging and they want to talk to him again. So they will speak to him again, probably when after they go out and talk to more of the accusers is what I'm guessing, or do more due diligence and look more things up, whatever the case may be. So there will be another conversation at least or another series of conversations with Deshaun Watson. Uh, But the other part of that is uh, he was very adamant about the fact that he believes They want to wrap up their investigation and at least make some kind of a determination on the discipline in June or July. They don't want this going any further and having the Browns and teams and fans and everybody wondering, is Deshaun Watson starting the opener or is he not? Uh, They want some kind of resolution on that as soon as possible. Of course, they have to do it sooner than later because there will be an appeal. I mean, I'm sure that whatever it is uh, that Deshaun Watson is going to appeal that ruling and that will also take some time. So uh, I think the, uh, the vibe is to try to get this taken care of as soon as they can.
0: Yeah. And and that's really kind of the important point is for the, you know, just the outside of the legal stuff for the Browns, for fans looking to buy tickets, all of that stuff they, they need to know, like the Browns are going to want to know before training camp, are we going to have our quarterback for the first four games, six games, however long, or do we have to get Jacoby Brissett ready to play They're They're going to get Jacoby ready regardless but it, it would be nice to know if you're, you know, you're kind of getting him ready just in case or you're getting him ready because you need to know, because you know, he needs to start.
1: Yeah. I mean, there are so many layers to this right now. There really are. Um, I feel like when I was back at the NFL owners meetings in March, talking to the Haslums and talking to other people involved with the Cleveland Browns, I sort of felt back then that they were feeling very optimistic about how long the suspension would be. That, you know that, that it would get over with you know in a relatively short period of time, maybe six games, something like that and that they would get that back down to the business of football and, and try like heck to make the playoffs this year. Now I'm starting to, to get the feeling that everybody's a little bit more concerned about where this is headed. Um, the Trevor Bauer suspension came out uh, from Major League Baseball that was two years. Not that that should have any bearing on what happens in the NFL, but in the court of public opinion, it does. I mean, people will see that and think about that number, and the optics will be there if all of a sudden you're getting a four game suspension for Deshaun Watson. So there are so many layers to this, uh, but I do think that the NFL will try, even though it's going to be very difficult with so much still happening, I think they will try. Uh, to let the Browns and Deshaun Watson know what they're thinking uh, initially by June or maybe early July.
0: Should fans potentially brace themselves for a double suspension? Like could the, could the NFL say, Hey, we're going to suspend you four games to start 2022, but then these civil cases play out next off season Maybe he loses a few of them and the NFL says, you know what? Because of that, we should have suspended you eight games, so we're going to suspend you four more to start 2023. Is that
1: possible? It is possible. Anything is possible in this, in this case right now. Uh, if more information comes out, uh, if, if they see fit that, you know, maybe they didn't come down hard enough on him, or if the outcry is such that, uh, you know, they're, they're getting hammered for what they did, I suppose they could tax something on at a later date. Uh, again, it's a complicated situation. The 22 civil suits will probably not go to trial at all until after this season. Now, the, the NFL is trying to uh, administer its own discipline independent of these 22 civil suits. So if nothing else comes out and there are no more suits and there's no, there are no videos and there's no more incriminating evidence than there is right now. I think they'll make their determination now and that will probably be it. But sometimes these things can take on a life of their own. And if more accusers start coming out publicly and, and being interviewed and if anybody else comes forward, I mean, you know, you never really know uh, how something like that could go. But in a perfect world, I think the NFL would like to. Dole out the punishment now and be done with it.
0: So the other part of this, of course, is uh, two of the accusers are going to go on HBO on Tuesday night um, and they're being interviewed by Soledad O'Brien. The Browns open OTAs Tuesday will be out there on Wednesday. Uh, we don't know if we're going to hear from Deshaun Watson. So there's, there's one of two things that happen here. Either Deshaun doesn't talk to us, which is weird, or Deshaun does talk to us, which is certainly going to be awkward. But I guess as, I, as I'm going through this, like this is kind of what the Browns signed up for. Like stuff like this to happen for HBO to say, hey, we're, in, we're airing an interview with two of the accusers. It happens to be the day before media is going to be out at OTAs. You know, like good luck. That this is sort of what the Browns took on. Like whatever happens between now and however long, they, they just sort of have to live with it.
1: And yes, absolutely. This is what they signed up for. They knew that there was going to be Uh, A a lot of negative press and a lot of um, very controversial situations going on for a period of time. Um, Tony Busby, the lawyer for the plaintiffs, is very strategic in his timing of things. So knowing that OTAs are opening up, knowing that this is the first time that uh, practices are happening, where the offense is going against the defense and really football is starting in earnest on the field. In Berea on Tuesday, uh, the timing of the HBO interviews—it's—it's uh, it's very, very strategic. And uh, so we'll, we'll have to see. You know, it's my understanding that um, that these are not going to be new voices. That these are voices that we've already heard from before. So I don't think we're going to hear a lot of new information. But I do think that it's going to hit different when you're looking at it on the TV screen. As opposed to having to go find it online and go look it up in a lawsuit or actually, you know, even read it on, you know, SI.com or whatever the case may be. I think actually seeing the seeing them speak into a camera uh, and, you know, maybe getting emotional or whatever is going to happen uh, in the court of public opinion, I think it could have an impact.
0: Now, Deshaun Watson will not be interviewed as, as part of this, correct?
1: That's correct. HBO did reach out to Deshaun Watson and ask if he would like to be interviewed for this. And they declined. Rusty Harden told me that today that they declined uh, based on the fact that the NFL is still in the midst of their ongoing review. Uh, As we mentioned before, not only will they still talk to Deshaun, uh, but they still have, I'm sure, plenty of accusers to talk to as well. So while that's going on, he did not want to do anything to jeopardize the NFL investigation. And I think that's wise. I think that's a smart decision. You don't want uh, to try to make, give the appearance that you're trying to sway the NFL one way or the other. You want to just let that play out. The bad part about that is the fact that his voice won't be represented. So these uh, accusers will be able to, you know, say what they want to. And unless HBO uh, takes it upon themselves to use some of Deshaun's words in the past, which they might, I mean, they might use clips of his press conference, his introductory press conference, where uh, he point blank said, you know, I, I've never done any of these things. I, you know, I, I've never disrespected a woman. I've never assaulted. I've never abused. I've never done any of these things. Uh, they might just go ahead and use those clips. Um, I mean, Tony Busby did say today in his statement that they were dogged in their pursuit of fairness. So we'll we'll have to see if that's, you know, if that's what it seems like. Now, I do know that one of Deshaun's lawyers, Leah Graham, spoke today on the phone with HBO for about eight minutes. And uh, they're not sure if HBO will incorporate or use any of her comments in the piece. But short of having Deshaun there, at least one of his lawyers has responded to some of these allegations.
0: Okay, so... Look, this is just an ongoing uh, situation that we're going to keep tabs on. And it's like I said, this is what the Browns signed up for. This, they knew they knew what they were getting into when, when they made this move. And look, they know why they're doing it, because we're going to talk about another quarterback here in, in a little bit in the second half of the, of the podcast. And that's a big reason why Deshaun Watson is here. So we'll take a break. And when we get back, we're going to look at what Deshaun was up to this past weekend. We are back on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. So back to the football side of things, Mary Kay. The Browns uh, took a trip to the Bahamas, the Browns offense, on Deshaun Watson's dime. And I'm looking through this photo that Deshaun put up on Instagram. And I can't identify everyone, but I see Harrison Bryant, Nick Harris, Jed Wills, uh, Jakeem Grant, Nick Chubb, David Njoku was there. Uh, Joel Batonio and Wyatt Teller, Anthony Schwartz, and a good number of people. It looks like about 20-ish, 20 to 25 offensive players made the trip to the Bahamas with Deshaun Watson.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, he he put his money where his mouth is in this one, really. I mean, he invited all of these guys to the Bahamas. He chartered a jet. Uh, He had it so that they were, he, you know, he paid for a private group breakfast and for private group dinners. They worked out each day on, on a nearby football field, and he really wanted to get away. You know, he did not want it to be anywhere uh, close by where it was just sort of ordinary. He wanted it to be special. Uh, and I think part of it is, and I don't know because we haven't asked him this yet, but I think part of this was sort of uh, almost in a, in a way saying to his teammates look I know I'm asking a lot of you I know that you are going to be asked a lot of questions I know that there are going to be a lot of distractions and also uh, I'm asking you to believe that I'm not the person that you will read about in these lawsuits and therefore uh, I want to show you how committed I am to all of you and to this football team and to this city and you know I'm going to take you guys on this trip which had to cost you know just a, a ton of money now of course he, Uh, received the $230 million contract from the Browns. So he has plenty of money uh, and he got a lot of that up front. So he's got the money to do it. uh, But still, I don't know that everybody would have done something this extravagant. Uh, You know, I'd have to, I'd I'd have to try to add it up and see how much that may have cost, but you know, just the food alone for those guys had to be a ton of money.
0: And I, I don't think they were just staying in some Airbnb either. They were probably, uh, probably accommodated very much like NFL players.
1: (laughs) Yeah. They were at Atlantis. I mean, they were at, um, the luxury resort Atlantis, which, um, which is a a ton of money per person per night. So, uh, yeah, he did not scrimp on this trip by any stretch of the imagination. Donovan Peoples Jones, I think, and Anthony Schwartz were also there.
0: Um, I see Jacoby Brissett too. Yeah. Donovan was posting a little bit from there.
1: Yeah. So, um, So, you know, they, it probably did go a long way towards that team bonding that they want to get. It went, it probably went a long way towards on field work. I mean, they really actually probably got a little bit of a jump on OTAs when they start tomorrow. I mean, Kevin Stefanski could probably just stay up in his office tomorrow and let these guys go out and run the practice after, uh, after they've worked together for the last three days over the weekend. But, um, but yeah, I think, um. I think it was good, I and mean, you know, some people have a problem with the optics of it, but I don't think his intentions were anything other than to get the team together and to try to show that he's this committed and willing to do whatever it takes.
0: Uh, let's see, Dearness Ernest Johnson. I oh yeah, people.
1: I saw him. Yeah, I, I
0: see Kareem Hunt there in the middle. A little yeah, to tell he's behind some people, but right. Uh, this this is great podcasting. Me just looking at a photo and, and telling <laughs> what do I see in the in the photo. But anyway. Um, yeah, I mean, look, the, the optics are certainly not ideal, but again, this kind of goes back to like, this is the situation, right? There's football happening simultaneously with, um, with all of these allegations and these court cases proceeding. This is sort of the, the line that we walk moving forward. It's like, I mean, we're going to be watching a football practice on Wednesday.
1: Yes, we are be- going to be watching a football practice the day after uh, these women give their interviews on Tuesday night. And as you mentioned, we don't know if Deshaun's going to be made available to us or not. If he is, obviously we will be asking him about that. And, uh, and that's the way it's going to be for a while. And as they move forward, another part of when I talked to uh, Rusty Harden was the fact that uh, he did say there are still no settlement talks in the offing. And so at this point, he still has no plans to settle uh, these 22 civil suits. And, you know, again, the suits probably won't go to trial until after the season. But for as long as they're all out there, this is going to be the story that continues to give. It's not going to go away. Even even when those civil suits are resolved or settled or whatever happens, this is going to be part of Deshaun Watson's narrative throughout his entire career. It won't necessarily always be this big of a distraction but he will always be synonymous with all of this
0: yeah i mean it's it's just part of everything we talk about with him on the field off the field it's it's going to involve this to some degree as we've seen you know honestly as we've seen with other players and other sports and football and you know you know ugly stuff happens and sometimes it defines the player. Sometimes the player moves past it. We don't know how that's going to play out with Deshaun. But, um, again, that's sort of the awkward thing. They were in the Bahamas. They're playing football. And now we've got two accusers talking to HBO. It's just going to be a weird sort of ping pong back and forth. Okay, let's talk about Baker Mayfield. Why not? Uh, mm-hmm. So, Baker Mayfield still a member of the Cleveland Browns as OTAs get started this week. Uh, minicamp, mandatory minicamp is not for another month. What's the latest, I guess, on Baker Mayfield? Has there been any movement as far as Baker Mayfield no longer being a Cleveland Brown?
1: No, there really hasn't been any movement. Things are pretty much status quo. Uh, the teams that we've heard uh, that that we know that have been interested in Baker Mayfield are still interested to a certain degree, but still not interested in paying the $18.86 million. I mean, I'm I'm pretty confident that if the Browns cut him, that he would be with one of those teams almost immediately. Uh, So they're interested from that standpoint, but from a financial standpoint, uh, that is still the issue here. Uh, if, If I were the Browns, I would probably still be trying to generate interest and drum something up from other teams too. I mean, there have to be some other teams out there that can't be overly thrilled with their starting quarterback situations. But I mean, to really be talking about starting Geno Smith or, um Drew Locke. I, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I've heard they're like serious about that, but I don't know. I, I think they would rather have Baker Mayfield. I think they would rather have Baker Mayfield. And the thing with the Carolina Panthers, I think they will start to look and see what they have in OTAs and kind of determine if they really feel like they can win games with Sam Darnold. And if they feel like Baker Mayfield is an upgrade, then maybe they, revisit that trade or maybe they're willing to do something different than they were willing to do over draft weekend but i think the browns are going to have to give a little bit more and the other team's going to have to give a little bit more uh, to get something done
0: okay so you you said something interesting there about seattle and you know geno smith and drew lock or baker mayfield who, who would you rather have as your starting quarterback and i agree with you i think you'd rather take a chance if everything was equal if it, we aren't talking about 18 million dollars or giving up draft compensation. If you could just have Baker Mayfield at whatever price you want, and it wouldn't cost you anything to get him. Um, certainly Seattle's a team like that. Carolina's a team like that. I mean, as I'm, I'm looking through here, I mean, look, like Atlanta's quarterback situation, right? I mean, that's one. I think you would probably take Baker Mayfield over. Um, the Giants, I, I mean, I don't know. Would you take Daniel Jones, or would you rather take a chance on Baker Mayfield?
1: Mm, Baker Mayfield, I've written, I've actually written a column saying that the Giants are part of a column, you know, part of a, some, something saying that the Giants should be interested in trading for Baker Mayfield. If Brian Dable really wants to win this year, I think he'd have a better chance doing that with Baker Mayfield than Daniel Jones. I really do. And I think that Brian Dable actually would do a very nice job with getting the best out of Baker Mayfield. I think he would be good for him. So I think that would be smart. I think there, you know, there are a few teams that are in these precarious situations. Detroit, Detroit. Right. I mean, yeah,
0: I feel like there's a little more upside there with Baker than maybe Jared Goff. Jared Goff kind of is who he is. I and mean, maybe you could say the same thing with Baker, but I don't, I guess I'd be, if I were a lions fan, again, all things being equal, I'd probably be more excited about Baker than Goff.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you can you can reasonably say that at, at about the four four or five teams you know that we have have mentioned, and you know, you and I have talked about this so many times, and you've hammered this point home. The pendulum swung too far over into Baker's a horrible quarterback. He's not a horrible quarterback. He's not bottom five. He's not top five. He's not bottom five. He's somewhere in the middle of the pack. But he and he was injured last year, so we really don't know. What he's going to be in 2022 if he gets an opportunity, but I think there's decent reason to believe that he's going to be better than he was in 2021 for a lot of reasons. So if I were some of these teams, I would I would revisit that. And if I were the Browns, I would be doing everything possible uh, to get him off the books and into another city mm-hmm. before training camp mm-hmm. begins.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think he's shown that like if you bring him in, you put him in the right system, you can win some football games. you going to win a Super Bowl with Baker probably not, but you can win. Like you can, there's no reason he can't be some version of like a Ryan Tannehill or, or something like that uh, for, for some football team that just commits to a system that really fits him. But some of that too is on Baker, right? Like he's got to be willing to be a Ryan Tannehill Mm -hmm. and kind of acknowledge that, okay, I'm not, I'm not going to be Drew Brees and maybe my attitude needs to be a little different and I've got, I've got to approach things a little bit differently, but if that match actually happened somewhere, I think he could still be relatively successful.
1: Yes, absolutely. I agree with that 100%. The other thing to consider with some of these teams, as you well know, is the fact that maybe some of them don't really want to win that much in 2022. There's a good quarterback class coming out in this next draft, in the 2023 draft. And some of these teams might have their eye on some of those quarterbacks and are hoping to get uh, one of the first five picks in the draft. So, you know, they just might not be all that motivated to go out and win eight or nine games when that could hurt them in the long run. So that's another thing. Uh, I actually there's there's part of me that thinks his best chance would be if a team suffer a good team, if a, a playoff contender, loses their starting quarterback and doesn't have a starting caliber backup. That is, I think the best chance for him to find good work, a good home, a good, a good opportunity. And for the Browns to get the most out of Baker Mayfield in, in trade terms.
0: Okay. There's one other question I want to ask. I was looking through um, a couple of questions that were sent in to us and we touched on most of what people wanted to get to, uh, but there is one thing, and this kind of goes back to Jadavion Clowney. Um, and the question is uh, I got it, well, I can't find it here, but I saw it. So I kind of know what the gist was. It's basically Hey, Mary Kay, can the Browns get by at this point without adding another veteran wide receiver or defensive tackle?
1: Yes. As far as the defensive tackle, I think they'll be okay there. Uh, but as far as the veteran number two receiver, Uh, I'm still in the camp that they need that. I don't have any idea right now if that's what they're planning to do, but that's what I think they need to do. Uh, I don't think it can be Amari and just then all these young guys. They need at least one other good proven receiver. And I'm sure they're looking at their pass catchers globally. Like they've got David Njoku and they've got Harrison Bryan. And so it's not like it's just Amari, and then nobody with any experience. They're probably going to get the ball a lot to David Njoku. But I still think, from a number two receiver standpoint, I'm out there looking at those guys. I would probably take a look at Will Fuller. I would take a look at at T.Y. Hilton. I would take a look at Cole Beasley and some of those guys. (coughs) Excuse me. So, I think this. uh, There's construction going on outside my house. I think it's (laughs) it's getting in my lungs right now. But um, anyway, so. I would do that. I would add the number two receiver and uh, and just kind of have that insurance against some of these young guys not being ready for that yet.
0: Okay, so there we go. Uh, That'll do it for our Hey Mary Kay edition of the Orange and Brown talk podcast. If you're not a Football Insider subscriber, you've got to get subscribed. Cleveland.com slash Brown's the blue banner at the top of the page to get info and get signed up. And of course, make sure you're subscribed to our podcast uh, wherever you listen, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And please subscribe, rate, and review as well. Uh, Mary Kay, I'll say I'll talk to you later. I'm not sure if you are in any state to respond if you deal with the the fallout from the construction outside of your house.
1: (laughs) I'm, I'm okay. I'm going to make it, Dan.
0: (laughs) All right. Well then Mary Kay, I will talk to you later.
1: Okay. Sounds good. Thanks.